طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome everyone to um, part 3 It is switched on here um, I think we have till 12.30 right? It ends at 12.30? Okay So you can all hear me whilst they... No you can't? Okay Alhamdulillah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Alhamdulillah. Barakallahu feekum. Okay, so this is our last uh, session. Uh, very quickly, let us dive into some other points for consideration. I'm going to reiterate time and time again, all we're doing here are points for consideration. I personally believe um, a lot of what has been discussed are independent uh, lectures and workshops in and of themselves. Uh, and um, we're not here to give complete mastery. Uh, on any one point. So please don't feel that you've heard everything of anything. Rather, you've just heard uh, an introduction. right? I, would, I wouldn't even want to say a drop in the ocean of um, what you need to know. Everything we've, we've cited is an introduction, something for you to uh, ponder over. And inshallah, if you are sincere, Allah will uh, bless you with great change in your life and how you bring up your children. Uh, just following up on one of the uh, things we said in the last session, um, when we spoke about uh, children being more uh, rebellious today than before, then uh, what that, or, or what I intended by it specifically when I said that is, is not that they question us more, and that's from them being rebellious, no. Yes, uh, parents do, uh, sorry, children do question us more today, and that's the sign of the times. And as we said earlier, parenting mustn't be the same as in the past, as, or the same today as it was in the past, because uh, children are generally more informed now. Um, as we know, their minds are stimulated by digital sounds, not by rattles and uh, objects uh, that we, you know, uh, perhaps, um, you know, grew up with. Uh, they, their minds are stimulated by digital sounds and research has shown uh, that digital images and digital sounds actually enhance brain growth um, far quicker than um, you know, other elements. Why? Because that's just the nature of something digital. It has the, there's, there's many more colors in a digital image. Uh, there's many more sounds that make up a digital sound. So the mind is really relating to more complex uh, matters than the simplistic matters of the past. So by default, uh, children develop far quicker. And that's why it's not strange that we see a child saying, well, there's a machine that can suck up the milk and clean up the milk. Even if there isn't, they can imagine it. it they can fathom it. It's something plausible. Uh, to their mind. So when we say uh, rebellious, it doesn't mean that our children question us more. Questioning more uh, is a sign of the times and it's something praiseworthy, right? It's because, you know, that is the sign of the times. They, they have the ability to um, assess things perhaps in a way uh, better than we would have assessed these things when we were younger. They have uh, a tendency to ask questions or the confidence that children have is probably at a level or rate uh, that we didn't have when we were younger. And perhaps that, that is also testimony to the way we have uh, brought up our children in many a way, and also because of schools and nurseries now, we know that there's many systems that nurseries implement and schools implement, which are advanced, developed systems that didn't uh, exist much before. So no, please don't uh, misunderstand me. When we say rebellious, it doesn't mean that rebellious entails them asking more questions. Them asking more questions is great. And one of the things we said earlier is, in terms of principles of parenting, is having open communication and the ability to listen. Let them speak. Let them speak their mind. Even if they're speaking something that's total... Uh, that has really no bearing. Uh, but let them speak because that is you developing them to have confidence. Right? Um, if you look at the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, uh, the responsibility was placed on them at a young age. Uh, we see them, we see the older companions bringing the younger companions to the gatherings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, in one of the narrations, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam cited a riddle for the companions and he wanted them to solve it. And uh, Ibn Umar, the young son of Umar radiallahu anhu, he knew the answer to the riddle. And the answer was the date tree. Right? Uh, but he kept quiet. So after the gathering, when he walked off with his father, he told his father that I knew the answer to that question. It was the date tree. So Umar radiallahu anhu says, why didn't you speak? It would have been a proud moment for me. I mean, you know, that my son answered the question. As any parent would feel proud. And he said, but how could I have spoken when Abu Bakr was there and, he, and you were there? Mashallah, this is great tarbiyah. 
This is great upbringing. That the child had the presence of mind to control his emotion to speak because of a valid reason of there being elders in the audience and I was knowing to speak when not to speak. But the point to note is they were taken to the gatherings of the adults. Today we take our children to gatherings of the adults as we do and we see them, mashallah, they speak to the adults. They hold conversations with the adults. Sometimes the adults come to your home, they have a longer conversation with your child than they even have with you. Right? So, um, and this is, as I said, a sign of the time. So no, them speaking is not a sign of rebellion. But when I say that children are more rebellious today than they were before, it's through observation. I'm not saying it as something set in stone, it's through observation. Um, we, in many cases I've dealt with, children are more willing to be less forgiving of their parents than I can remember when I was a kid. They, more, uh, they have more resolve to hold a grudge right? than perhaps we did with our parents when we were children. If our, ch- if our parents punished us, we might be upset about it, but it, we won't, it won't last and go on and on and on. Children today, they're happy for it to go on. Children today are happy to still eat their parents' cooking, live in their parents' home, use their parents' amenities whilst not talking to their parents. Because their parents disciplined them for something that required disciplining. That is just how it is today. So this is what I mean when I say we live in, in a time where children are, are, are more rebellious. Perhaps it's a sign of the time. Again, I'm not saying all children, but I'm saying through observation in the cases that I've been in, I've seen this way. I'm, I'm trying to reason with the child and say, look, but this is your parents. But subhanAllah, that resolve uh, to be less forgiving is still there. And when I think about it, when I was growing up, or the children that I grew up with, some of their parents are in the audience today, some of the parents say, I grew up with their children, we never sort of, you know, we were, okay, we reasoned, well, that's our parents, let's go say sorry, we go say sorry. Today you tell a child, go say sorry, oh, you have to really pull out all the stops, you know. If you say sorry, I will give you this. Go and say sorry, I will buy you that. Come on. And then the child goes with such uh, resistance and sorry. Right? So the egos are far bigger than they were perhaps when we were growing up. Um, which means we need to be more sensitive to the situation. Right? We shouldn't shout down our children, let them speak. Uh, and, and, and keep that mode of communication open. It's a very great uh, principle in parenting. And brothers and sisters, if they're not speaking to you, they'll be speaking to somebody else. Always know this. Their minds, if you don't fill it, somebody else will fill it. The TV will fill it, the neighbor will fill it, the guidance teacher at school will fill it. Understand this. It's just the reality. I dealt, I had a case with someone in one of my travels, because they, they were having genuine issues with the teachings of society and Islamic teaching. And may Allah protect our children. You must understand. You know when, uh, I think the topic was cited as a third world country. You know third world country has some benefits. In terms of your children's iman, they're not exposed to a lot of the things that the children in the first world countries are exposed to. You know all these isms, liberalism, uh, modernity, uh, all these isms that are coming about. right? And they question some of the values of Islam. They question some of the values of Islam. It affects your child's iman. I've come across teens who doubt Allah. Teens who cannot believe Rasulullah said something or said this hadith. This is the reality when you travel to other quote unquote world countries. Right? And I just had a case of a person who was shouted down so much at home. Because they have these beliefs that are not conducive to Islam and they're questioning Islam. Instead of the parents listening to them, the parents scolded the child and told the child to get the act together, refused to listen to the child. So the child started, decided to address some of the scholars of the vicinity. The scholars would put the phone down on this person. Yes, this person needed some character, in, some good character in how they spoke. They, uh, you know, sometimes a lot of passion comes across the wrong way. So because they've fallen prey, to the school environment and some of the things that the school teaches with regards to God and the presence of God and, value, and, 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 and values of the modern times. They were passionate about their beliefs because they were falling astray, may Allah protect. And they were questioning the Islamic beliefs in a passionate way which was being understood as disobedience and disrespectful. So certain scholars would even put the phone on them. Right Now what happened was I was teaching an actual program and they sort of got up and uh, made a bit of a scene to try and grab my attention, to pay attention to these things. I was discussing a different topic. But nonetheless, in my private sittings with them, this is what I understood from them. 
that they were shouted down at home, they were shouted down by the scholars. So what did they go and do? They started speaking to the guidance teacher at school who was a non-Muslim. They started seeking help with regards to their beliefs from, Muslim, from non-Muslims who know nothing about Islam. It's not even plausible in any academic circle to try and learn something from somebody who knows nothing about it. But because they were treated this way, they, they lost the presence of mind that they started doing things which even say, meaning common sense doesn't agree with. And what was happening, they were being fed for one year or two from people who are enemies of Islam anyway. They're happy to put down the Islamic narrative and not try and find a plausible explanation to a hadith of the Prophet wasallam. They're happy to say, well, who says he was even a Prophet? And this is the advice they're hearing. Who says the Qur'an is the Qur'an, the word of Allah? So you see what happens when parenting at home goes wrong? Or when you try and bring up your child based on the upbringing you had in the past? When you're not sensitive to certain issues? Yes, you might have been shouted down in the past, but you never doubt your iman or Allah or Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Today if you're not sensitive to it, you lose your child, they could become an un-Muslim when they get to the ages of independence and make decisions for themselves. Right? So, um, I just wanted to clarify what I meant by uh, rebellion. Anyway, let us dive into that famous topic or favorite topic of ours, which is the terrible twos. Now the terrible twos, there's a positive thing to it. You know what the positive thing to it is? I always say that our two-year-olds teach us how to ask from Allah. Because when they ask, they tantrum. They really want it. And that is how we should ask Allah. We should beg Allah and beg Allah and keep asking and not feeling shy. <laughs> so there's always a lesson in everything. You know, so when I, when I look at the two, no, but I want it, no, but I want it, no, but it's like this, no, but I need it. You know, the terrible to then, if, 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 if they have some bad, uh, meaning if they, if they have a very um, alpha attitude or alpha kind of demeanor, then they can even start screaming in the shop, right? And kicking a fuss and making you red in the face because everyone's looking at you. That's what happens, right? Uh, but the positive side to it, brothers and sisters, is that we actually learn from them how we should ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we should be persistent in asking from Allah how they are persistent uh, in asking. And we should cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask how they ask. Uh, in any case, before we start the, the, the terrible twos, um, does anyone have any questions based on the first session or the second session? I have some papers here which I'll go to, but before we go into uh, some of these more um, applicable matters in today's day and age, does anyone have any questions that they want to ask? And don't be kind to me by keeping quiet. No? Everyone's shy. See, if your children are here and they're watching you shy to ask, they'll also become shy to ask. So you're not being a good parent at the moment. Right, khair. Let me just... Um, <clears throat> bring about a piece of information that I require. Um, why... Is the terrible too such a phenomenon? And it has its own heading and title, and it's a, uh, everyone knows about it, especially if you have children. Uh, and if you don't have children, you'll come to know about it. Uh, why is it something that is documented as a subject in and of itself? Well, we must understand that the child's mind is constantly developing until you reach your peak in life. And um, great development happens at the age of two to three to four, as also there are other developments that happen in a great way to our children when they reach puberty uh, and hit their teens, right? Um, uh, the changes later on in life are more volatile than the changes that happen at the age of two and three and four. Uh, but nonetheless, because of brain development, these things happen. The children begin to um, develop identities and they also uh, begin to develop an understanding that they have certain abilities. These things they didn't know uh, before they hit these ages. Now, um, if you look at pediatricians, you look at doctors who specialize in uh, matters pertaining to mental development of children, they have good documentation about actually what happens and they have cited for us uh, certain tools that we can use to assist uh, the turbulence 
that our life enter when our children hit, hit uh, the age of two and three and four. There's actually the American Academy of uh, Pediatricians that have, uh, I find they have a good uh, piece uh, on this, especially when they talk about why children hit um, something known as the terrible twos. They say strong emotions are hard for a young child to hold inside. Uh, and when they hit these ages, emotions become part and parcel of the development. And it's important we understand this, so we don't really say the child is rebellious or he's, he's not behaving. It's just a case whereby the emotion has become something that they have understood is part and parcel of them, and now they are sort of navigating their ability to deal with it. It's like if you give a child a vehicle, right? The child's not going to know how to drive that vehicle so, uh, you know, well. Uh, until you teach them more and give them, I'm not saying give your children vehicles by the way, it's just an example, right? After much training, after much training, they will become better. The child is going on it's his, his or her own journey. That's what's happening at the age of two and three and four. The child is going through his or her own journey. There's things happening that Allah causes to happen. It's the sunnah of Allah, every child will go through it. Some earlier, some later. And that's why they cited terrible twos between two and four. So they, these changes are universal. No one can stop it. The child is dealing with it. They're going through a situation. Right? They cannot understand why they do certain things, but they do it. And I think many parents here if, uh, have practically seen this with their children. When you, you see at two or three, your child all of a sudden is hitting. You've never hit your child, but your child now is hitting. And what happens is your child starts hitting people. And you start treating your child as if your child has become the shaitan. And that's not the case. Your child doesn't know better. And you will tell your child, don't hit, it's wrong, don't hit, it's wrong. Some parents punish their child, right? And, and, and the child comes to know that they're doing wrong. And you find the child still hitting. But what will happen is the child will actually hit and start crying. Has anyone seen this? Where your child actually does something wrong, they do it and they start crying. The thing is that they've done it because they couldn't control themselves and now they're crying because they know they did something wrong. And this is the reality, brothers and sisters. I'm just trying to water down the discussion because obviously this needs a whole day or two days in and of itself. But to try and give you perspective of what's happening, your child is doing something that the child has no control of. Yes, you've taught them it's wrong. They don't want to do it, but... They did it. It's like a car that has a blown tire and is out of control. You don't want the car to smash that car or smash this car, but the, the car is on its own collision course. Your 2 to 4 is on its own collision course. Think of it this way. When you understand it this way, you sort of stop hyperventilating. <laughs> and this is the first important thing for parents, because they hyperventilate. And what happens is, you start exacerbating matters, you start, the grandparents will start shouting at the parents, that you don't teach, you teach your child, teach your child. Your ch Listen, maybe the parents have read a few books and they're not bringing the child up as the grandparents brought up their children, right? It's just a different phase. But then the grandparents, if you're living in the same home, the grandparents are hyperventilating, that affects the parents. Now the parents are uh, putting pressure on the child. You're not aiding your child's development. Your ch child's brain is growing. They have their own chemical balances that, you know, uh, comes about with regards to their own development. What you don't want to do is add the stress. They're already dealing with the stress of them being a two to three year old, dealing with the fact that they know my mama or my baba or my mother and father or mommy and daddy, whatever you want to call the parent, doesn't like that I do this, but I've done it. And I've seen parents, when the child hits for example, now the parent is hitting the child. This is wrong. Because you basic, it's not even sense, it's, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. Because you're actually disciplining somebody who cannot help himself. You get what I'm saying? They can't help himself. You can't help. Even the Sharia acknowledges that people who've lost their state of mind, we lift the, the rulings of the Sharia. Someone who's mad, salah is not compulsory on them. Because what are you going to do? Say it's compulsory. If it's compulsory and they don't do it, you're going to punish them. But they didn't have the ability to do it in the... It doesn't make sense. Right? So the Sharia acknowledges people's states. And this is a state, brothers and sisters. Now, there are some tips that um, some, uh, a, group of, a group of people who deal with children, association of nannies and pediatricians and so on and so forth have put together. I'm just going to cite this to you. It's not from me, it's from them, but I personally feel the tips that I'm going to share with you here or that I've put together, I feel they're decent tips and, and it's something for us to consider. Um, some of the ways to mitigate, mitigate uh, rebellious two-year-olds 
not because now they're rebellious because they want to because they can't help themselves, is by doing some of the following. Number one, limiting their choices. Limiting their choices. Right? So just like adults, children prefer having a choice. And in the child's case, you may not be offering them great choices. But having a choice or any choice can mean the difference between a complete meltdown, which some terrible twos enter, or a more... Um, uh, controllable situation where you can revive them much quicker, right? Than them actually going into a coma, <laughs> right? We don't want to see them on the floor, in the shop, kicking and so on and so forth. Um, so what they say is uh, limit, you, limit their choice. Now, they give an, or some of the examples shared, for example, is for example, if the child won't move, right? Then you give them the choice to go on on their own or be carried. That these are two options that you're being given. Okay, so and this is with everything. Sometimes they want uh, something, right? Don't just say you're not having anything. You're not helping the situation. Rather, give them a choice, but limit the the choice, right? Because you basically your job is to help them through the turbulence. It's like when a plane is going through turbulence. The pilot helps you by saying, "Fasten your seatbelts. Don't go to the lavatory, and so on and so forth." Right? They assist you through the. Your job is to assist your child. You're not trying to change anything, this is just a natural state. Ideally, you do teach them good values when they're out of you know, this uh, state where they've become succumbed by this age that they're in. Right? And when, when the situation is normal, you're sitting with them, you're feeding them, you're teaching them that, Oh my dear son, you, know, you mustn't hit people, it's not uh, right, Allah doesn't like this, would you like it if people hit you? Yes, that's, you're teaching them that at the right time. You don't want to teach them that when, they're, when human nature has taken over them. When Mother Nature has taken over them, that's not the right time. Your job then is to help them through the turbulence. How do you help them limit their choices? That look, you're not going to stay on the floor, you're going to move. But there's only two ways you're going to move. I'm going to carry you or you're going to walk yourself. This is one way. The other way to ensure that you assist them through this period is to establish regular routines. Keeping your children upon routine in terms of their feeding, in terms of their sleeping, in terms of their outing is very very important brothers and sisters. Why? Because children out of routine are naturally agitated. Two-year-old, one-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old. Lack of routine is not conducive to their development. If they're going to get tired at the wrong time, they're naturally going to play up. So the best thing you can do is keep them especially during these ages on routine. Meaning you want to Avoid having the matters that instigate unwanted emotion coming into play. And you do that by keeping them upon a routine. Feed them on time. Let them sleep on time. Let them play on time. Don't sort of make them run their lives based on your timetable. And that's parenting. You've got to have some sacrifices. And I don't call them sacrifices. I call them investment. Because you're investing. Your child's going to be a better child as a, you know, if you make the necessary, necessary changes in your life. A lot of parents say, I oh, sacrifice. You know, having children is a sacrifice. No, it's an investment. Firstly, you worship Allah. Allah's going to give you a bigger paradise. Now, nobody's sacrificing when they get a bigger paradise. That's investment. Let's be honest. If you put some money and you get more back, is that called charity or is that called investment? That's investment. So don't treat parenting as sacrifice. It's investment. Allah is going to reward you. Your Jannah is going to get bigger. You leave behind children who will practice your teachings. You'll benefit from them in your grave. Also, you'll have a better child if you sort of give up you know, some of your likes. You cut down those holidays. Maybe those nights you used to enjoy those dinners with your husband. Let's get rid of that. Why? Because it's the child's time to sleep. Keep them on the routine. Or for example, you get a babysitter. But the last thing you want to do is make their life conform to your erratic timetable. Where they must grow up upon the life that you have. No brothers and sisters. That's being selfish. That's not being uh, a parent. So most children thrive from having routines in their life. When daily life becomes random and chaotic, children will often act out and throw tantrums. Routines help make children feel safe and under control. Not having routines in your child's life is like, is like walking around with a behavioral time bomb. And I can tell you, Right? I've come across some parents, subhanAllah, who are so distraught being a parent because their child has hit the terrible twos and they just don't know how to manage it. Honestly, you find them so distraught. It's like, honestly, because obviously every child is different. Some children, are, you know, they come out blazing. 
Their terrible twos is, is quantum terrible twos. I call it terrible twos on steroids. You know, so, you, you, yes, some children have it. And some parents are so distraught. You don't want to be moving with a ticking time bomb. Right? And in the same breath, you don't want to be tipping around your two-year-old. Because he'll start thinking he's the parent before long. Tayyip, number three, always lead by example. And we discussed this before. You may not recognize it, but your children observe your behavior intensely. Wallahi, they do. Have you not seen you in your children? The parents here? Sometimes you see your child sitting and you think, Whoa, I sit like that. That's like a mini me. Or how they eat. Honestly, parents who have bad manners on the eating table, I've seen their children eat like that. Really. You know, if you have a specific way of sitting, when your child hits two or three, you see the same thing happening. They sit like that. They speak like you. They dress like you. You know, if you, if you go in, uh, into a particular mirror to comb your hair, they will go into that particular mirror, even though they're playing. But they will imitate. They're imitative by nature. This is, this is how p- children are, by the way, brothers and sisters. They're imitative by nature. It's just how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them. That's a fact. And it's human nature. And, and you've seen today how companies spend millions and millions on putting somebody's face on a cereal box. That face is very ugly. But, you know, because he's famous... And he's a sports star, and everybody, you know, uh, uh, likes him. If we put his face on the cereal box, everyone's going to eat that cereal. It's just human nature. Children are imitative by default. If you argue with your wife in front of the children, you'll see your child disrespecting your wife. It's not that your child's disrespectful, but they think it's normal. They're imitative by nature. If you wake up late. You don't bath quickly in the home. You're in your pajamas till late. Like for the mother's son, as you want to get through the whole housework and so on and so forth. And then you want to have a bath. Your child sees that. By default, they will develop tendencies to not feel the need to bath on time. And, let's see, and when you're in the terrible two zone, children want to do what they want to do. If they don't want to bath, they don't want to bath. And if you don't have a routine in your life, why should they feel the need to bath anyway? They sh- why should they feel the need to have a routine? It's fine, bath at 8, tomorrow I want to bath at 10. Right? The fact of the matter is, you have no control in terms of how they think. The body is developing, they will think these things. So, lead by example. Right? Um, the next thing is positive reinforcement, brothers and sisters. This is something that's been cited, and this is important. And positive, you know, when they train animals, they train through positive reinforcement. When the animal does something, they give the animal what the animal likes to eat. If you're training dolphins, you give fish. Right? Um, with children, when they do, when they good, reinforce that good in a positive way. Reward them if the rewarding is in a positive way. And rewarding doesn't have to be by buying them something. Rewarding can be by you, you know, doing something with them, you speaking to, acknowledging them, thanking them. Yes, yes, they're only two. No, they two. Don't just say they're only two, they don't understand. It's another problem with parents, parents today. Parents want to teach their children something when it's too late. When it's too late. Every time they're too young, leave them. They're too young, leave them. You know, when the young girls are growing up, let them dress anyhow. I've even heard a parent say, let them enjoy whilst they're young. As if following the sunnah is not enjoyable. What are you teaching that child? You're teaching that child to dress like that when they get to the age when even the sharia tells you at seven, make them start observing salah. Even though salah is compulsory when they hit the age of puberty. Some might hit it at 15. But at seven, start. And the, the, the sahaba, they took this hadith and they applied it to fasting. As soon as their children could fast and make them fast. They say based on the hadith of salah. Right? So why would you want your child to dress anyhow? Your, your daughter, your granddaughter, let them dress how they want. And then we say in front of them, let them enjoy before they have to, you know. So now you've already, you think they don't understand anything, it's implanted in their subconscious. You want to be teaching them that following the sunnah is beautiful. And that is true enjoyment. Because let's face it, a Muslim enjoys in Jannah. Right? Um, so positive reinforcement is, is very important where you acknowledge them, uh, you, resp- you, you, know, you have a consistent response system. When they come through, they behave themselves in the shop that day, acknowledge it. In a, in a positive way, reinforce what they did, don't take it for granted. And the, the ummah does this in a big way today unfortunately, and we haven't helped ourselves. You know in the West, you've got Islamophobia spreading like wildfire. 
And, and, and I've said it, in the UK, in Australia, in, in many of the Western countries I've been to, because non-Muslim communities are standing up. But sadly, they have to react, because they're not running the theme anymore. The other people are running the theme, right? They can do what they want and, and show Islam in a way that they please, right? And now the Muslims have to respond, respond, respond. Why? Because the Muslims didn't do what they should, what they're doing now, 20, 30 years ago. 20-30 years ago, the Muslims in the country should have been integrating with the larger community, teaching the values of Islam, dressing like Muslims, behaving like Muslims, showing people what Islam really is. We didn't do that. We were insulated and you know what? We had an, inferior, an inferiority complex with other cultures. That's what happened, right? That's what happened. And, and, and think about it. There's a, there was a book I was reading once which was talking about the, the, the gap between the rich and poor divide in Denmark. And they said it's one of the smallest in the world. And one of the reasons that they cite as the rich-poor gap being so small is that they have abolished this designer label culture in this country. They've abolished it. Because really designer labels, it's the same thing. You're just paying more because of a name. And let me tell you, Muslims, they pray to this culture as well. They are prey to this culture. You could buy something similar, if not the same, for less and given the excess money to charity or used it in the therapy and development of your children. But rather, you fall into the culture. We have this inferiority complex. So we want to adopt other people's cultures instead of showing them the Islamic culture. So we didn't do any service to Islam. So now came those who are enemies of Islam and they, they, they project Islam in a poor way and now we just have to react, react. No, we're not like those people who do the bad things. No, it's not like that. No, it's not like this. But whenever, were you, whenever did you show your neighbor the true Islam? Let's be honest. If you have a non-Muslim parent, uh, sorry, a non-Muslim neighbor, Whenever did you show that neighbor the true beauty of Islam? So when they switched on the TV and they saw that, they said, you know what, this can't be true, man. I have a neighbor for so many years, they're absolutely different. Surely if Islam teaches what these people are saying, then my neighbor would be that. Does that make sense? So positive reinforcement is important. Don't take it for granted. Coming back to the parenting context, where when your child does behave, you take it for granted that they should be like that. And this is some of the styles of some of the parenting, right? Where they say, the good we must not talk about. Because it should always be good. We only mention the mistakes. Because that we have to fix. That is wrong parenting. Positive reinforcement helps your, 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 your children through the terrible two phase. As well as uh, shows that you're not taking them for granted. And they feel appreciated. And that is just part of human nature. right? That when they feel acknowledged, the next time when they're slightly weaker, they will find it within themselves to produce that necessary not to enter the tantrum stage. Because they will remember the feeling they felt the last time when they didn't, and how you were with them as a parent, and how happy that made them feel. So positive reinforcement is important. Also, um, the, the experts say we should encourage independence. So if you're trying to have complete control over your children, then you're doing it wrong. Right? And, and I think we've established this, that a terrible two is under the law of human nature, of, of, of mother nature. Right? Or human nature. So you cannot control that narrative. Right? So a parent's job is to prepare their child for adulthood and independence. And independence is also exactly what your child wants. Right? Uh, it doesn't mean that they want everything they need. But in the same breath, we must also be receptive to that which they want. Right? And that is for you to consider. Also, healthy eating habits. It helps children through the terrible two phases. You don't want to be firing them up on lollipops and sweets and all the sugary stuff. They already have a, a situation that they're dealing with. Don't exacerbate the scenario by giving them the wrong foods that stimulate things that shouldn't be stimulated. Right? So you make them overactive and even though they're tired, they still carry on and then they start acting up and then tantrums come uh, about. Um, how to deal with the terrible two temper tantrums. Some of the things I've said is enforce reasonable consequences. And this also falls back to limiting their choices that we discussed earlier. Like for example, you are going to move. It's either you're going to be carried or you're going to walk by yourself. Right? Uh, what you're doing is you, you, you're reasoning with them, you, you're acknowledging their ability to think and make a choice. And also you've told them that if you're not going to make a choice, then one of these two things are going to happen to you. Right? So there's a consequence. It's not that you're going to be left and that everybody is a servant of your tantrum. Does that make sense? So enforce reasonable consequences. If your child throws a temper tantrum, then 
for example, take away a toy for a period of time. Or physically remove them from the situation. Right? They could be at a party for example. They don't want to leave that party. But a positive consequence could be taking them out of that environment. Right? It, 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 will, it will help them. Also don't give in. Don't give in. Whether you like it or not, temper tantrums are not... Uh, well, let me say are not. Let me rephrase it. Temper tantrums are grudge matches. You know what a grudge match is? It's like a boxing match between two people. It's you against your child. If you give in, you've been knocked out. And what happens? The child says, well, the harder I cry, the harder they fall. And you don't want that to happen. Because that makes them more persistent. Tantrums last longer when the child believes that it works. They believe that it works, they carry on. So the next time you decide to be more resistant, they will carry on, they will scream and, and perform for a longer period. Because they know it works. I won the last time. So you never ever want to give in. Also you should stay in control. Um, I've seen many parents get sucked into the, 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 the tantrum of the child. They actually lose a sense of who they are. They become embarrassed. You become embarrassed. Now you're thinking how people are looking at me. You're in the shop. You lose control of yourself. Right? And then you act in a way that you normally wouldn't. The reason why you're doing so is because now you're sort of part of public perception. And it's the perception that's governing how you react. So you don't want to lose control. At the end of the day, it's parenting. And you have to be a parent in every environment. Right? So never get sucked into the out of control behavior um, that happens. And depending on your situation, uh, you need to manage yourself. And as I said, this is a topic that needs a day in and of itself. Um, one of the tips to help get through the tantrums is to be consistent, brothers and sisters. Be consistent in how you deal with the matter. It shouldn't be one day you deal with it in this way. The other day you deal with it in a different way. The other day you let them be. You know, you're tired today, so just let them be. Just let, get, put, put the TV on for them, I'm tired. No, you can't do that. You've got to be consistent. can't be, you know, today I'm not, in, I'm not in the mood of being a parent, so I'm just going to give in. You're not doing yourself any favors. And you're not doing your child any favors, right? So as I said, uh, terrible twos is part of mother nature. Your job is to help them through the turbulence. You cannot control it, but you can mitigate harm. And you can assist them in getting through that turbulence in the best way possible. Okay, brothers and sisters, sadly our time has come to an end. I wanted to go into some discussions pertaining to uh, teens, but... Um, time does not permit, but I will share a couple of important points regarding teens uh, that you should uh, consider that I think is conducive uh, for Zimbabwe as well. And um, that point is related to responsibility, brothers and sisters. You know, we need to raise our children in a responsible way. Um, we shouldn't raise our children in such a way where we mother and father them until the day they get married, and even after they get married, then, you know, Fine, they don't feel the need to be responsible, they live with us and so on and so forth, we take care of everything, we mother and father them forever. No, you need to create responsibility. Rasulullah wasallam, the first ambassador of Islam was Mus'ab ibn Umair. Mus'ab ibn Umair was from the youth. And when the people of Medina said, send us a teacher, he sent Mus'ab ibn Umair. He didn't send Abu Bakr, he didn't send Umar, he didn't send the senior giants that were with him at the time. He sent a young boy, right? It wasn't a, a, a you know a futile risk. It was a it was a calculated risk, right? Because there were other positives that employed Musab being the chosen product. Because also he was brought up in a family of affluence, and the people of Medina were were younger people, right? So uh, a young person coming through, uh, they would relate to him better. Also, he had memorized most of Revelation at the time, if not all. So he was the right teacher to go across. But the point you note is Rasulullah didn't back out from sending him. Like we do today with our children. We mother them and father them to such an extent that they have no responsibility. They don't, they're not responsible with wealth. They're not responsible in making decisions. Because we've never given them, never made them feel the weight of responsibility when making a decision. This is not good for the teens. Absolutely not. Right? You know... Rather they make mistakes when we are alive than making mistakes after we pass away. I know many a parent is scared to give them the weight of responsibility because they don't want the child to make a mistake whilst they are alive. You don't want to go through that situation 
where you have to deal with... You know, many parents, they, they, they romanticize their children. They see them in this, in this flowery kind of picture. And we don't want anything to affect that picture. So subconsciously, we protect them to such a degree that it's not even conducive to them. It's, 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 we, our parenting is retrogressive, right? Because we don't want them to make a mistake whilst we are alive. And really, they should be making mistakes when you are alive because you are the most desperate for them to succeed. You are the most sincere advisor they have. If you educate them, if you are there to pick them up when they fall, there's no one better than you. Rasulullah let the Sahaba practice ijtihad, personal reasoning in fiqh views whilst he was alive. He didn't say, no, 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 don't do it, I'm alive, you ask me and I'll get revelation and, 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 the, and the answers will be there. He let them practice. After Fajr, he would ask them, who saw a dream? Somebody would say, this is the dream I saw. He'd tell the companions, who wants to try interpreting the dream? Give them responsibility. Let them make mistakes. And they did make mistakes. And he would tell them, أَصَبْتَ بَعْضًا وَأَخْطَأْتَ بَعْضًا You were correct in parts and you were wrong in parts. Let me correct the parts that you were wrong in. He would do this. And this is what made them able after he died to look into the Qur'an and Sunnah and extract views. Imagine if they were shivery and jittery. It's a big deal to try and, and tell people what Allah has said after the Prophet ﷺ has died. Who would dare do that? Right? But he trained them and gave them the confidence to do so because he allowed them to stretch their wings whilst he was alive. This was his way, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He allowed them to participate in the battle as teens. Ibn Umar radiallahu anhum says, I asked him uh, to participate in Badr and he said no when I was 14. And in Uhud when I was 15 and he said yes, I could. So as teens they were given responsibility. I'm not saying when you travel give them the passports and the money. I'm not saying do that. And then you say, no, I attended this talk on one Sunday and we were told give responsibility. Now look, <laughs> he's lost everything. No, I'm saying give a responsibility to them that's conducive. Where slowly but surely, they also grow their independence as teens growing up, brothers and sisters. It's important. You cannot raise your youth pampered. They don't, have, they don't feel responsible in learning about Islam. And this is something prevalent in Zimbabwe today. How many youth are frequenting the masjid and frequenting talks? Let's be honest. You, it's, I don't blame them. I'm talking to the parents today. Have you made them feel the weight of responsibility about learning about their deen? No. Have you made them feel the weight of, of responsibility of the grave? No. Have you made them feel the weight of responsibility of standing in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah? No. Again, I'm not being oppressive and saying that's across the board. But let's talk about the majority of circumstances. This is how it is. This is present day. We spoke earlier of how fussy you all are when it comes to learning Islam. So what do you expect of your children? Right? We've not made them feel the weight of these things. We've made them feel the weight of being homeless and streetless. So we put them in schools and made them study. All we've done is made them live for today without living for tomorrow. When we have the potential of living for today and tomorrow because of La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. So you have done a great disservice to the kalima and the fact that Allah chose you to be a Muslim and a follower of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You've done that disservice because you are raising a people to live their lives as non-Muslims live their lives. They go to school as they go to school for the certificate. They go to the gym as they go to the gym to lose weight. No, Islam is to be a healthier Muslim because Allah loves the stronger Muslim more than the weaker one. Because this body is, is an amana, Allah will question it on the day of Qiyamah. This is parenting, right? The first teachers. But you brought them up to live like everyone lives. And you haven't taught them the responsibility of La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And I know we call it mothering and fathering our children, but we, we shouldn't even call it that. Because if you, really, if you truly mother and father them, then you wouldn't shy away from making them feel the, the, the weight of these responsibilities at conducive times in their life and allowing them to make the mistakes and holding their hands up through the mistake. Today, what happens in many a parent when the child is on drugs? Now we raise the alarm bells. We're running to the sheikh and the maulana. This is what my son is doing. And he's like this and she's like this and we blame and blame and blame. But we forget that every action or every, every action has a reaction. And the action wasn't conducive. So the, the reaction wasn't conducive. No child is born and the first day out of his mother's stomach says, I'm going to be a drug dealer. Let's be honest. They become like that. And as we said here in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that every child is born upon fitrah. And it's the environment of the home that makes them Jew or Christian or a fire worshiper. The messenger of Allah is saying this. 
Have you made them feel the responsibility of dressing properly? That you know this dress of yours, you'll be questioned about it on the day of Qiyamah? Have you made them feel the responsibility of being diligent with their wealth, that Allah will question you about this wealth? Every cent you spend, and every cent you earn, Allah will question you about it? So that they became diligent, and felt responsibility when they did things? Or was it a case where you gave them a car, and then they were on the disco on Friday night, or somewhere in Avondale, in mixed gatherings, who knows what, on the weekend? Because you never taught them the responsibility of the gift that you gave them. You reduced parenting to provision of financial standing and material well-being. Anyone can do that, brothers and sisters. Anyone can do that. So, you know, perhaps inshallah next time we, we get together, we can, um, um, you know, uh, talk about uh, teens and so on and so forth. As I said, this whole topic is a long topic. I'm just here... Provoking thought. That's what I'm doing. And I said this from the beginning. Everything shared is thought provocation. That you can now go home, benchmark yourself against some of the titles that were said. And let's not stop. I'll give you my details. Write into me. You can mature the discussion. We can discuss things. I'm not saying I'm the best in this. But I'm sharing whatever Allah has made easy for me to share from what I've read and from my own experiences. And if I can't help, I will find inshallah, or I promise to try and gain uh, the answers that you search for from my teachers and people who inshallah uh, can shed better light. Uh, but please, please, please understand, this course is only about provoking thought. You need to go home and do the hard work now. You need to go home, switch off your mobile phone, have a break from your children. Share, tell the husband to take care of the child for a few hours and then vice versa. And you go into a quiet room and ask yourself that Allah is going to ask me about how good a parent I was on the day of Qiyamah. How good a parent am I actually? Go and ask yourself that. But don't let shaitan put you on the hamster wheel where you're running, 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 but you're going nowhere. And you think I'm okay, right? Because you look out and it's still greenery around you. So you say, you know, it's, I'm still in the city. It's still good, right? It's good because you're not moving anywhere. Right? It's good because you're not moving anywhere. The only time you're going to know is when someone tells you, hey, knocks you on the shoulder, say, you know you're on a hamster wheel, you're not really moving. You, it's like you're on a treadmill. Right? So go and be brutally honest with yourself. Be a brutal judge and jury. And make the changes that you need. This is not the, 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 the topic for you to tread the path of leniency and making excuses for yourself. Okay, this happened, but, but. Remember we spoke about but. No. If you're wrong, you're wrong, make the changes. If your children are old, phone them up. Acknowledge that I should have said this to you, I didn't say this to you, I'm telling this to you now. So that perhaps they don't make that mistake with their children. And this is from you being sincere with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one here can say they haven't made any mistakes in bringing up their children. And no one can say they're not making mistakes now, bringing up their children. Right? So, brothers and sisters, please take heed. In any case, Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect and any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Um, perhaps next year when I'm back uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, I would have requested a, uh, a youth day, we could do that, or a youth weekend, uh, we could do something like this where uh, I have an actual chance to sit with the actual teenagers or youth. Uh, of Harare or Zimbabwe, they asked for a day, I actually suggested a sleepover and a two-day thing um, which is more hands-on because as I said, you know, parenting, developing, these things don't happen overnight, it's a long-term process and the best thing we can do in seminars such as this is create a relationship with each other and then we can build on from that relationship. Um, there's some questions that we have here, what I will do is uh, I will um, answer them via email and then Iwin can email them out. I'm sure everyone's registered the email addresses uh, here. If you haven't, please do so, so that you can receive the email as well. Also, I've recorded uh, the session uh, and the links will go out to you all via the email as well. So if you haven't, please visit the Iwin team and drop your email address so that you can have access to the recordings as well when they are released. Brothers and sisters, last but not least, please don't feel depressed. Smile. Alhamdulillah, you're still alive. And as I said, Allah blessed you to come here and learn something. There's other people who could have come but didn't come. And if Allah wants goodness for you, He opens the doors. And He has, Alhamdulillah. It's not the end of the world. As long as we're breathing, we have a chance to return to Allah always. We're all breathing, walillahi alhamd. Let's turn to Allah, seek forgiveness. Allah forgives all sins. There's nothing that Allah doesn't forgive. 
when you turn to Him sincerely whilst you're alive, turn to Allah and tell Allah, Ya Allah, I lack diligence with my children, please forgive me for that. Don't make it be a burden for me on the day of Qiyamah and assist me with that which I need to rectify the situation and make it better and, and believe that you're forgiven. Don't ask Allah and doubt. Right? One of the greatest acts of worship is having good hope in Allah. Husnudvan. Many of us don't worship Allah this way, in having good hope in Allah. You know, we fast Ramadan and we, we, we hope in a negative way that Ramadan is, is accepted. I say hope in a positive way. Say that, no, inshallah Allah has accepted it, because Allah is with us as we perceive Allah. If you perceive Him as forgiving, if you perceive Him as accepting, if you perceive Him as merciful, He will be like that with you, inshallah. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك من الله سبحانه وتعالى make us the best parents and gather us with our children in the highest jannah next to rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam on the day of qiyamah amen uh, something's come to mind very quickly and that is the ayah in the quran where allah says uh, that um, those who believe and their offspring follow them um, Allah will gather between the parents and the children in Jannah. So if the, if, the, if the parents are at a lower level, and the children have a higher Jannah, Allah will raise the parents to the higher Jannah, so they be with their children in Jannah. And vice versa. If the parents are in level 6, for example, and the children are in level 2, Allah will raise the children, so that they will be together in Jannah, because Allah, Jannah is all about happiness. And... You know, we spoke about the relationship between parents and children. Allah knows this. Allah knows that, you know, you'll be truly happy in Jannah if you're with your loved ones. So Allah will give you ultimate happiness by joining between father and son, and mother and son, and father and daughter, and mother and daughter. So another reason for you to go full out in ensuring that your children get the highest Jannah. Jazakumullah khair. Obviously, I considered the gift having the opportunity to address uh, you all. You know, it's a great act of worship, and, and charity begins at home. And I know. Um, that I have very little work uh, here in Zimbabwe because I'm based outside. Um, so it's always a great opportunity to give back uh, to the community. So I am indebted to Iwin for the, the couple of opportunities that they've created. Um, yes, we have opportunities to speak in the masjid, uh, but um, this is a, a style I prefer. I think sincerely that we need to develop ourselves as Muslims, we need to grow our learning abilities, stop listening to talks that always talk about what, and start listening to talks that discuss why and how. That's the only way we're going to get better. It's easy to listen to something we've heard before. And what shaitan does, he makes us feel happy that we're listening to the talk. We run to the talks that tell us what. We need to go to the talks that need us to think a little bit. And those are the talks that discuss why and how. And I believe those talks cannot happen in a 45-minute masjid talk, or half an hour masjid talk, or Juma khutbah talk. It needs to happen in, in, in seminars and workshops. So this is my preferred style. And Iwin indeed has allowed me the opportunity to do that in this style here. So Jazakallah khairan for the opportunity. Barakallahu feekum to you all as well as the community of Harare. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.